You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. Episode 47. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Here for the Truth. We've got a special guest today, a um, good friend of mine, Michael Sims. We'll introduce him in a little bit when he jumps on. Um, there's, as always, a few ways to support our podcast and our venture of making the truth mainstream. Um, you can subscribe to our Patreon to receive early access to all our episodes and also um, be able to get access to and join our monthly community calls where we have interactive and live hangouts over Zoom and answer any of your questions for an hour once a month. There's donate options at PayPal. I think it's forward slash here for the truth podcast. You can check all that out in the brief, wherever you are. You can support us in what we do personally. Um, I, I work with divination and self-knowledge to help people better know themselves. I've just started a new program called Know Thyself. You can check that out on my website, joelrafidi.com. Erasmus, if you're after a specific human design reading, please reach out to my brother over there. Or if you're in the LA area, hit him up for some, for some trauma-informed body work um what else man i dropped a new single didn't want to be right this is awesome dude i love it had the had had the pleasure of performing it to 150,000 people over the weekend um we're going to dive deeper into that with, with, with michael sims in a little bit and i think that's about it man you ready to jump into this episode let's do it all right we'll bring on michael now all right, everybody, welcome to episode 47 of Here for the Truth podcast. Today, we have for you a dear friend of mine, Michael Sims. Michael is the founder of the Millions March Against Mandatory Vaccination Movement. Michael is the father of a vaccine-injured son himself. And Michael has been on the front line in, in Australia for four years now, um, putting in the, the effort necessary to, to build a movement and to really exert his will in terms of what the truth is to Michael and to, and, to, and to move things forward in a really profound way. And it's an honor and a pleasure to have him here. We just had the Sydney Millions March over the weekend and it was massive. But more about that in a little bit. Michael, thanks for being here for the truth. Thank you, Joel. Oh, I've been a fan for a long time, as you know. <laughs> I'm very pleasured to be here. <laughs> it's all right. I'll give you an autograph maybe after the show. <laughs> <laughs> bro um we, we, we we're personal friends obviously and we, we, we've connected but to be honest with you man i want to dive deeper into your story because that's somewhere that we haven't actually gone together and i'm looking forward to this um take me back to your origin story man where 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 where, where, where where's this begin what was your real awakening um and what was the catalyst for the incredible energy that you have to continue to push forward the way you have been. Yeah, so basically until 2004-ish, I was a rapper like yourself. I was running nightclubs. I was running music festivals, um, under-18s dance parties, trying to be like Puff Daddy. My dream was to be Puff Daddy, music producer, agent, manager, you know, running a record label. That's what I wanted to be. Wow. I, I met, a, met a woman at a nightclub one night I was emceeing and we got together and I moved 
from my home to be with her and I needed a real job. So I got a job as a disability worker because the ad just seemed really cool. You know, want to have fun, want to go out and do things, want to do music. I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. Disability worker I am. Um, was pretty good at that. So working with people with autism, um, really connected with these people. And along that journey, parents started telling me their story about their child. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them came down to vaccine. They were saying their child, they might have three or four ch children and this child was the smartest. They were the earliest talkers. They communicated well and either it was their first year birthday or their second year birthday and their child changed after that. Some of the stories were the child had seizures, rushed to hospital, never spoke again. Some were just, they noticed the regression instantly. Some had allergies, et cetera. I took all that in, but then my son is born in 2009 and I asked some questions. Back in those days, we didn't have all this Facebook, Instagram kind of stuff we do now, but I had enough knowledge you could say to ask for a vaccine insert. I was like, can I have the vaccine insert? Because I've heard people are saying, ask for the insert. I get this green flossy, flossy brochure that says vaccines are great. They've saved humanity. There's some crazy people that say bad things about them. They're wrong. <laughs> vaccines are great. So at that stage, I gave in. Now that was three or two days after my son was born. So I did say no the first 10, 20 times I was asked. Um, but originally I gave in to the vitamin K and pretty much instantly after the vitamin K, my son became jaundice. I'd never heard of that. I don't know if you had, or, you know, you're a father, you just yep. want your baby to come out alive yep. with 10 toes and 10 fingers. And you're just happy in that moment. And then nurses come in with a couple of needles and I wasn't expecting it. I thought, you know, maybe a month or two or a year or two down the track, not that moment so very ignorant of me and that's what i try to educate people on now but yeah my son became jaundice which meant we had to be in the hospital longer which means the nurses were at me longer about the hepatitis shot so we got the hepatitis shot and my son got eczema at that time so again i i don't know how to have a baby you kind of just do what you're told by the doctors by the nurses um a year on my son's developing normal i hate to use that word but he's he's talking not talking like me and you now but as a baby he's saying daddy mama nan pop ball all, all the usual stuff starting to walk and then on his first year birthday we bring him for his 12 months of vaccines i hold him down while he's screaming and we go to his birthday party within an hour of his birthday party we're rushed to the er so my son is massive allergic reaction, swelling up. You know, he's three times the size he'd normally be. Um, I don't call it seizures, but just different body actions. And the doctor says, what was different about today? And even with that education I had, not for a moment did vaccines cross my mind. I was just like, it's his birthday. He's been playing with balloons. And that's what we put it down to, that he was having a reaction to the balloons. Um, bring him home from the hospital and he's quiet he's like wants to sleep and again as a parent when, when you've got a young one-year-old and you, your child suddenly a bit 
settle down, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, you don't notice anything's wrong. Well, I didn't until the days passed. And then I'm like, he's not, he's not talking anymore. Um, he's not looking at me when I'm calling his name. He's in his own world. And me being in the autism field for three, four, five years before that, I could see some traits pretty instantly. Flapping of the arms, walking on his tippy toes, the, the not hearing your name, the lining things up in a line. Um, we went back to the, our original doctor who said he's deaf. And we're like, he's not deaf. He was listening to us the whole time. You know, he was talking. He knew what words were. He watches the wiggles on TV. He's not deaf. But the doctor said he was deaf. So we, we go to another doctor who says he's got ADHD. Don't worry about it. It's just a little bit of ADHD. Don't worry about it. We're still like, no. I'm like, he's autistic. Um, my son's mum, not to have a go at her in any way, but obviously she, that's not news any parent wants to hear. Mm -hmm. And at that point, she didn't want to hear it either. So I was silenced by the doctors and silenced by his mum went to another doctor again that said he was deaf but we, we can't do a hearing test until he's two years old so we're waiting the next eight ten months waiting you know he's not getting any better he's still the same person he was on that day not listening not not talking you know and you get to two years old and you finally get the hearing test and they say he's not deaf. <laughs> and then we, we try to get the autism diagnosis. But what happened at, at that point was a lot of parents didn't see what I see in my child. So it's not noticed until they get to school. So the way the system worked is those kids instantly jumped ahead of the line because they needed services and help now because they're six, five, seven years old or whatever. So again, we had to wait and wait. It probably wasn't until he was three that he was diagnosed as autism, as autistic. And again, I'd known since he was one, early one. So that's that's my story about vaccines in a way. Wow, man. Um, it's such a difficult thing, bro. I mean, particularly because you spent time with your son as developing normal for, for, for a period of time. And you firsthand witnessed the, the, the change um, from, from, from the vaccine. Um, can, you, can you dive into for our audience um, the, what it is to be a father or a parent of a vaccine injured child, the, what, what, what they would, what they might not be aware of um, and the work and the effort that goes into being a parent of a vaccine-injured child? So firstly, I just started with it. My son is my best friend. I love my son. We do everything together. If you've followed my personal pages over the years, you, it was all my son. Me and my son going to the footy, going to the basketball, got everything a father and dad would do plus more. That a lot, Maybe it was compensation in a way that he's not talking to me. We're not really playing together so i'll do any interest he had i would obsess over that with him and we'd do that together so i just want to put that out there I mean, it's no nothing this is against my son in any way but the harder kind of stuff is um toileting took a long time whereas normal 
kids learn to go to the toilet. My son, it wasn't till he was at school. We finally got to say six years. He was in nappies for. Um, he's still, still now at 12 years old, can't have a shower by himself. He makes up cooking shows, so he'll pretend he's in a cooking show in the shower with every shampoo, conditioner, <laughs> face, anything he can get, he's mixing up, dipping in the cup and, and taste <laughs> testing it. I'm like, no! <laughs> or sometimes I'll just go to get his clothes ready for when he gets out of the shower and I'll come back and he's flooded the bathroom. So he's put everything he can on top of the drain to fill it up and like, just simple little things. Um, doors need to be deadlocked in the house because as he can't talk and he will run anywhere, he doesn't know nothing about personal safety. If he ever gets lost, I, I can't find him. He can't go up to someone and say, I've lost my dad. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the hardest thing. I have lost him on three occasions and my heart melted. One was after we'd watched a movie at the movie theaters. He's ran out and you know, when you finish a movie and everyone's packing the yep. aisle, I'm a bigger guy. He's a little kid. He dodges through the crowd. I can't get past anyone. The minute I get out of the movies, I can't see him. <laughs> yeah. well, what do I do? You know, I'm ringing police. I'm ringing security. They shut down. They lock down the mall. And I do get him back. But it's that, you know, another time was at the footy, at a footy game. After the game, they're allowed on the field one day. And the players are at, a, at an entrance sign and autographs and stuff. And my son runs down the players' tunnel into the players' dressing room. <laughs> security won't let me down there well, why'd you let him down there and again I, i'd lost him for 30 minutes wow you know but security was good and they were all looking for him and because we do all these things it was a lady wife of a footy player that recognized him picked him up and held him but you know yeah in ten thousand crowd how do you find a, a a boy that can't talk and will run anywhere loves water when he, when he was three years old, we were there feeding ducks with some bread, you know, and I've turned around for two seconds to just to walk five steps to a seat to sit down. And when I turn around, he's up in, in, in a lake, you know, I don't want to get in the damn lake. And he's in this dirty lake with the water because he's following the duck now in the water. Yeah. <laughs> I got to chuck on my clothes off, jump in the water. They're just little things, but things he loves also affect him really badly. Like he, he loves the footy, loves the footy. And his greatest bits of the footy is when they do the entrance and then they name all the players, number one. And he knows all the numbers and all the players. But with his greatest, highest moments, instantly after that is the greatest down, greatest, you know, he falls straight down that really fast. So he can go from cheering to cry and scream and punching everyone within two seconds. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's no ex experts that can help you because the experts don't really know. They've just gone to uni. They've spent less than 10 minutes with someone. And the, all the advice and help they give you doesn't work. Because they'll say things like, well, put some headphones on him. We were front row at the NBL grand final basketball with his headphones on and the same moments happen and the headphones go flying in the middle of the court, you know, during, during the game. All the, it's just, yeah. So life is hard in those ways. But again, great boy. But all the little things a normal parent can do, like go get dressed, go have a shower, go feed yourself. Um, let's go to the park. Any, anywhere I take my son and I notice all the other parents, they're 
sitting at the cafe or sitting on the grass on their phones or reading a book or having a chat i'm i'm next to my son the whole time because like i say if i take my eyes off him i don't know where he is he's gone other kids pick on him he gets blamed for it because he's different and he can't talk he can't defend himself you know i've seen him get hit by kids and he thinks it's thinks it's a game and then he'll do the same thing to someone littler than him because he knows they can't hurt him and then it's all this boy did it this boy did it uh, i'm the only parent there watching <laughs> yeah. so yeah can't 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 write he can read he uses an ipad very well so we do have communication with each other it's minimal in the fact that we don't have a conversation but he can tell me he wants to go to the swimming pool to the park to the football watch a movie whatever he wants to do he can write down go on a holiday he loves holidays that's the vaccine passport thing problem that i have now in the lockdowns lockdowns have been super hard on him because with autism or with vaccine injury you, you get these routines in place and it takes years and years to get them in place and then we're told we can't go outside parks are, parks are shut down he can't go to the park he can't go to the swimming pool he can't go to the shopping mall he can't go to a kid's play center he can't go to the footy he can't go to the movies he can't do nothing it opens up and I try to bring him to these places and we're back to where we were 10 years ago of him on the ground, screaming, kicking, crying. And now he's 12 years old and I can't pick him up like I could when he was two. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. Um... Hey Michael, I'm, I'm, when did, uh, obviously having this experience, when did you then have the light bulb moment where you were like, I'm going to start an organization? <laughs> Oh, that was many years later. I want to get there. Yeah. I, I, I want to get there. I will, I will get there. Before we get there, though, I just want to dive a bit deeper. Um, so this was just the hepatitis B vaccine that led to your, your, your son's autism. There was no oh, more vaccines. Sorry? Well, yeah. when you're that age, yeah. as you know, there is a few on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that day there was there was probably you probably got injected twice. Yeah, that both of them had multiple things in them. Yeah, I don't think it was the MMR. You know, that's what people blame. Um, my thing with all that is, like I said, I seen it early with my son. Yeah, some people don't see it until they're two, and yep. then blame the MMR, and even the science and all that kind of stuff, kind of. Del Bigtree and Bobby Kennedy went to court a couple of years ago wanting studies on the other vaccines before the age of two. And there was no studies. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's pretty common sense because a doctor won't diagnose it either. So there's no doctors out there diagnosing this before the age of two. So, uh huh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> yeah, got you. Okay. And, so when, uh, when, when vaccine manufacturers or when doctors or when governments tell you that no one can be held liable and no, one can, no one's really responsible for, for what's gone on, how does that leave the, the, the parent feeling like? Yeah, so one of my therapists was really good and that's when it really opened my son's mum's eyes because she was talking about all this. She's like vaccine injury and she's talking about testing the hair follicles and all that stuff and 
aluminium and mercury and mm-hmm. all these things and they're finding that in the hair of children with autism that's not in the hair of other people yeah okay well that's interesting and that's science and that's real and but most no other doctor therapist will listen to you which makes it hard and many parents then get in the to the point whereas they won't get services if they say that story you know you can't use the vaccine injury story because that's not real um you're just crazy now and you need psychiatric help wow and that's why your kid is the way they are because you're crazy <laughs> you know like it's a tough so, so the, the institutions do they now acknowledge that your son is vaccine injured or no yeah so yeah. Like I, said, is, I, I, yeah. I work i've worked for 18 years in the disability sector yeah not one person i work with believes vaccine injury like some of them may class themselves as my friend and follow my facebook they don't like any of those posts yeah do you know what i mean they'll, they'll like me and my son at the park but they won't like any other post and i'm like i work at the same place as you have you not heard these other parents stories or are you ignoring them or or what what's going on like yeah <laughs> that's that's i mean so really this is like this is this is gaslighting an extreme form of, of gaslighting right? exactly yeah what um a lot of people talk about the uh mthfr gene mutation um did that does that play any role in um, what happened with your son or any other stories that you hear from parents in the place that you work? Yeah, I've definitely heard the story. For me, it wasn't something I, to me, it already happened. Gotcha. So it, it wasn't a solution to go and find that. And again, still people don't believe that. Or it sounds like motherfucker. Or, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Anything any of us say to a large point of the population is crazy i've just tried to play it as simple as i can that i know what autism looks like i've worked with it my son was normal he had the vaccine he got rushed to hospital that day and then i saw the autism the doctors didn't i did (laughs) yeah i think i think that's the most ridiculous thing around it is like the arrogance of the medical professionals who knows their child better than the mom, the dad that sees the child 24 seven, that knows every single piece of human behavior and the way their eyes go and the way their mouth goes and the way their hands go. I mean, no one knows their child better. And so for a doctor to gaslight, to say, oh no, it was always that way. It happened when he was born. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I heard from a, from a client that I work with his mum, we had a good relationship and she was saying one of her friends think their child is vaccine injured. And me and her had never had that discussion. So I said, I actually believe the same for my son. Told her my story and then she told me her son's story. Whereas after his two month, two year vaccines, he started vomiting black stuff. She took him to the hospital. They spoke to the doctor and she was told he was brain damaged from birth, but because you're a young mama, we didn't want to tell you that. Like she's she's believed that for the next forty years of her life. <laughs> wow. And yeah, and 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 speaking about doctors, um, being in my work as a disability person, um, I went to a conference two years ago with doctors. It was about PRN medication, which is medication to stop behaviours in people with autism. But we came to the point, whereas this 
lecturer. So he's a lecturer at Melbourne University. And he was stating, we get two days training in disability. We don't know what it looks like. We get two days training. Same as like vaccines, they get, you know, a day or two training and they don't go through it just go through the schedule. So he, uh -huh. he didn't know what autism looked like. And what his story was that he's, he has twin boys. It wasn't until they went to school that their teacher said, you know, get, get your boys checked out. I think they're autistic. So he's a doctor who's a lecturer at a university that didn't even know his own sons had autism. <laughs> do you know what I mean like that's the doctor that teaches the other doctors so doctors have no idea and it's how we get around all this the doctors can't see the difference in your kid your doctor can't see that nothing's wrong they're not trained in that and again it's not until they're after two that they visit a specialist that then says your kid's autism and it was a vaccine that from six months or 12 months or 18 months or anything else in the world that could have done it but if the doctor can't see it and help you then we're kind of stuck again. Yeah. And yeah, we put all our trust in them. And like you said, what education do doctors get on nutrition? What education do they get on vaccines? What education do they get on toxicology? You know, um, I have a friend who's connected to, to like one of the biggest families of pediatricians in, in, um, in Miami, Florida. And I think they had like a single module and a quiz on vaccines. And you're yeah. talking about the profession that is dealing with newborn children that is administering these injections to these children and yet they don't really have any knowledge the key the key note that i will never forget is him telling me we only study what we need to know to pass the test right and as a lecturer you know what the test looks like so you're only telling the doctors training doctors what they need to know to pass the test they have no need to look into anything that you just said because mm -hmm. it's not in the test yeah. And to get paid, they need tick, 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 tick. And if they find out stuff that's different to what they're supposed to say, well, then they're going to get across, aren't they? Then <laughs> they're not going to become a doctor. Or well, they're going to get this. You can't question, yeah, you can't question authority. You know, you can't <laughs> question the teachers. Hmm. Well, yeah. obviously, the system's designed and created from the get go to turn the blind eye, right, to, to this issue. It's turned the blind eye to really, you mean, the nature of the pharmaceutical industry that's, that surrounds it. And what we're talking about really is a microsm of the bigger the bigger problem that that we're dealing with, which is people are just willing to do the bare minimum to, to get to where they think they need to get to. No one's really willing to look beyond the veil, beyond the curtain. It's just you mean well, what what boxes, what check boxes do I need to tick in order to you know what I mean to, to get to where I need to get. Um, so now from here, well, I, I want to bring back where, where your asthma was going. So you decide to raise awareness, right? No one, no one, no one, no one's, no one's talking to you. No one's hearing you out. There's no one you can go to. You're trying to shake, shake the walls of everywhere around you. And you're like, I guess I've got to, i got to wear this myself. I've got to take this on my own shoulders. So how did, how did, how did that begin? It just began by a simple post. And I see now, you know, when your memories come up on Facebook and I'm like, my memories from four or five years ago had, had no likes. And I'm like, shit, I've come a long way from getting no likes to then get thousands, you know what I mean? Um, it was a lot of Americans at the time. I didn't know there was anyone in Australia. And I come across videos by, you know, Josh, Josh Coleman. He was a hero to me and I've spoken to him a lot since. And he's helped me, you know, idolize him in the protest movement too. And we've worked together a bit. Um, a lady named Denise, who 
I can't think of her last name, but she was the woke mama in California and runs the freedom, women's mm-hmm. freedom thing there. And they were running mad rallies and she was talking about vaccine injury and just to see these people talking about it. They were the first people I saw talk about it. So I was trying, but again, no one was listening because no one in real life wanted to hear me. Suddenly, you know, my page is empty. I'm posting. Yeah, probably like a lot of people now that are watching and stuff, they'll post on their own page and it's crickets. No one cares. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it took me years of doing that. And again, building connections with American people. It really wasn't until that close to the end of 2019 when Australian people started to see me. And that's when I um, was supporting, following, speaking about the Samoan situation. Hardcore. Mm. This is this is forgotten. This yeah. is forgotten. The Samoan situation has been drowned out by 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 the entire COVID pandemic. <laughs> yeah. What what was happening in Samoa? Just to remind the people. Okay. So what happened in Samoa? I knew a guy named Edmund Tamatis. Um, we're just Facebook friends, and he was in Samoa, and suddenly he's he's given me this information that well, we'll go back a bit earlier. Yep. Four kids. Four kids died after the vaccine in Samoa, the president or prime minister, I always get that wrong, of Samoa then banned the MMR vaccine, banned it. Because, you know, four kids just died instantly straight afterwards. Um, the fourth one, the parents seen the other kid die before them. And we're like, don't you give that to my kid? And then they gave it to the kid and the kid died. <laughs> president banned it and stated that his own grandson became autistic after the vaccine. And we're like, whoa. Something happened after that where I was going to do big stories about this at the time, but then you know what Facebook does. They, they shut you down. You start getting threats off people. But the, the word was at the time that he was bribed by the UN, paid, paid a large sum of money to start giving the vaccines out again. The moment he did, everyone started getting measles. Um, so measles was running rampage. But the thing with that is when they sent these tests over to Australia to get certified as measles, only four of the first 26 tests they sent here actually were measles. They never said what the other ones were. So so we had that situation. Then because it is a poorer country, they didn't know what they were doing. They started vaccinating everyone they could. If someone came into the hospital with measles, they'd vaccinate them or what they thought was measles. Um, they were vaccinating people two or three times. Didn't matter how old you were. There was expired vaccine rolling around. There was vaccines that hadn't been refrigerated and been left out way too long. They were giving them out. Um, yeah, then, then kids started dying. Babies started dying. Some of these were vaccinated. Like, again, our side of the story overblows situations too as you know the yeah. stories where all these kids were vaccinated and are dying from the vaccine i connected with every single parent that lost a child wow. um, there were parents there that children were not vaccinated the biggest problem was that they weren't treating them properly parents were telling me they'd been to the hospital three and four and five times and being sent home being sent home with panadol um we had edmund at the time and met myself, Tay, and I hooked up a crew in America and we were sending over 
shipments, I was going to say F loads, but heaps of shipments of vitamin C and E and D and everything that Edmund was treating these kids by. Now he treated lots of kids and none of them ones died. So at that same time, then the Samoan government kept putting in lockdowns. They're locking down people and they're going door to door, vaccinating everyone, putting flags outside the people's house so the army and stuff knew which houses to go to. They're tracking people down in villages, in the jungle, everywhere. Then they put out a rule saying you could not speak, speak out about vaccines. If you did, it didn't say what they do to you, but it just said you cannot. Edmund obviously was, and for a time I blamed myself for that because no one knew who Edmund was until, like I said, myself and Tay and people in America started Edmund, Edmund, Edmund. Suddenly Edmund's in the news everywhere. Everyone knows who Edmund is. Edwin, sorry. And then he gets arrested and sent to jail. So here's this man treating all these kids and he gets sent to jail. Shortly after, the UN releases a press release stating the way to treat measles is the exact way Edwin was treating them with the vitamins and all that. And it promises that they're going to send all these doses to Samoa to help the hospitals. That never happened. I was still sending the kids home with Panadol. <laughs> yeah. And then some weird stuff happened right towards the end. So Edmund Edwin's in jail until everyone's vaccinated. Wow. Media, worldwide media is there and they're snitching on people hiding. Like we're in a motel, there's people hiding out in the motel. Telling the president. <laughs> um, so at the end of the story, well, this is right before COVID. So we're, we're talking December 19. Yeah. Man, I, remember, man. I remember seeing all this in the news cycle and then COVID happened and I'm like, was that whole thing like a trial? for what they were about to try to pull, you know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So at the end of this, men started dropping dead. Now, not a lot. Samoa has population of 200,000. So it's half the size of Canberra. <laughs> so not a lot of people. But when five or six men just dropped dead for no reason, you know, they were singing in church yesterday and the next day they're dead. That was raising more alarms and then bodies were being taken. So the official count, I think, was 81 deaths to measles. But the people in Samoa were telling me that there was more deaths. They stopped telling the government because the government started taking away their kids and not letting them have them back. You know, and they wanted to bury, they bury their kids on their property and all those kind of things. And the government wasn't letting them do it, was taking the kids away. And people from Italy and all these other countries were taking their kids away. Wow. You know, to study them because it wasn't, it wasn't measles. It wasn't measles. Next thing happened, well, just another point to chuck in there was we were getting reports that Samoa is, it's owned by China. Not to bring the whole China thing in, but it's, it's owned by China. China owns everything there. Yeah. And I was like, is anyone, is any Chinese people getting the measles? <laughs> and at that time, they're like, no, no, it's just a, just a Samoa. So that was that. And that's December 19. And then, then COVID hit and yeah. no one's talking about Samoa ever again. No. <laughs> most people don't even know about it because it happened in a particular window where the most monumental cataclysmic event. That, and we that, also had a big bushfires. Yeah. That, you know. And Kobe died. January to 
<laughs> Kobe died. Yeah, I remember when all that was going down, the Samoa thing, the fires, and then of course, what a couple months later, the world went to uh, entered into an insane asylum. Yeah. So, what was the catalyst for you to begin Millions March? Hmm. So again, looking at Josh Coleman, um, a lady named Ayla Wolf. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know her. Sounds she familiar. Was a large activist in New Jersey. Oh, so that's, where the, I, that's where I was. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. Yeah, she was doing very large rallies in Jersey, trying to fight off the bills, religious religious exemptions, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. So they they were my friends, and Denise in California. They were my friends. I was seeing them do this, and I'm like not to be rude to the Australians because at that point then I was obviously following people like Taylor, Alone Alan, the AVN, and I'd seen some little things and I'd actually turned up to some little things where there was 20 people there. And not to be rude, they were all women. They were, there was ladies in prams, but the majority were elder women that had been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I, one, I don't think I fit in here being the only man and at that stage being you know 30 30 ish <laughs> or mid 30s or whatever but trying to make myself younger um, Yo, michael you're the puff daddy of the anti-vaccine movement i mean come on <laughs> <laughs> and that's 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 it i was just like how can we get people to come to a rally how can yeah how can we get people to come to a rally i, I want to do a rally i want people to come how can i how can i do this and it's not just me going down to the corner and 10 people showing up. Yep. So that's when we created Millions March. We'd set the date. We'd, I'd set the date before COVID. And then, yep. then COVID came. And in my head, I'd cancelled three or four times <laughs> because it was lockdowns and you weren't allowed outside. And I'm just this guy that's talking about vaccines. I'm not here to fight the police. I was always about, I'm, I'm fighting the government. I don't want mandates. I don't want to be forced to have a vaccine. That's that's my fight. Don't care if you have one. Yeah, yeah. In those early stages, I had vaccine abolishers. Have you heard of them? Dead set against vaccines. Oh, yeah. They were hating on me worse than trials were because they're like, no, you're speaking up really loudly now and we discourage anyone to get a vaccine. If you get a vaccine, you're a bad person. You're going to kill the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I just don't want to be forced to get one. Yeah. yeah. I want the truth. You know, tell parents the truth. Don't say, "Here, get this. This is good," and then they get it, and their child's disabled. That was that was my fight. And to start it, it was a struggle because um, immediately I reached out to the people I respected, the people that have been doing it a long time, and and they were tired. They're like, "We've, we've tried this for years, Michael, and no one comes." So we're in a this is this is January, February, March of last year. So we're in a stalemate for a while, and then some people put their hands up. The bigger names in Australia highly supported it, and we did our first one in May of 2020. And looking back on it now, it was tiny, but at that time it was massive, you know. And then I had all my American friends going, "Wow, you pulled that off nationwide!" In in one day, thousands of people in each city. It wasn't many thousands, or you know, two thousand in each city, kind of thing. But compared to the twenty people, you know, we do a national protest before that, and there's twenty to fifty people in the one spot. 
to now have thousands in each spot was was massive. And then obviously it snowballed from there and you've seen what happens after that, Joel. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. So just, just for, for, for those listeners, um, the event on the weekend, estimated numbers are about 150,000 people in Sydney alone that rocked up. There was probably at least 150,000 in Melbourne as well, I'd say, looking at the drone footage, if not more. Um, and this is, this, is, this is an event, a banner and an organisation that you started, which in the earliest events probably had 30 people there. And then in, in the May event, you had maybe a thousand people there. And uh, now the people that said it couldn't be done, there's now 150,000 people in these major cities of Australia um, walking the walk and making a stand against mandatory vaccinations. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, Joe. No, it, it feels awesome, as you know. Like it was a lonely, it was a lonely road, and it didn't feel lonely on that stage, Joel, did it? Like okay. it didn't. Like, and that's not saying I'm the best or Joel's the best, but every single person in there came out, and that's what's important. We we still get messages saying I couldn't make it that day. I was at work, I had something on, but that was the problem back in the olden days. That every person said that oh, I got to brush my hair that day. It's too hot. It's too cold. I got a party. No, it's really important that people come out and the people have come out and just to see it build so much. And it's not not just me. I have a team. I have beautiful speakers, but it's it's everyone that's talking about this every day, posting their posts, talking to their friends, talking to their family, spreading the word and, and waking people up. It's the government's fault as nothing they say makes any sense. <laughs> and the longer it goes on, more people are going man, this doesn't make any sense. Like none of it makes any sense. The key to me is I, I, you probably know, I tried some other, we branched off in some other areas last year, freedom, you know, mm -hmm. we did freedom day. We did a freedom rally. Um, I then decided to choose to come back and stick to just vaccines. It was getting too, too scattered all over the place for me. And I know like your podcast, you talk about everything, but for me, it was trying to stick to that topic because I was getting a lot of people say, doctors, for example, were saying, Michael, I'd love to come and speak to your event about vaccines, but I can't be standing there while people are saying every politician is a pedophile or the queen is a lizard or all things like that. Do you know what I mean? Yep. He just, you know, he's happy to come and talk about vaccines, but please keep me away from all those other issues. And, and that's fair enough because yeah. even now I notice when a politician talks about our rallies on TV, he'll go, well, I've got the vaccine and I'm getting a 5G signal through me. Do you know what I mean? And that's not what we're saying. Yeah, some people said that back in May last year, that 5G thing kind of, people stopped talking about that. Do you know what I mean? Our, our movement is filled with thousands of different things, thousands of different theories about different topics and the crazier that they seem, I'm not saying they're not true. I'm saying the crazier that they seem, they're the bits that the government, the trolls, the other people hold on to. And then mm -hmm. they never hear the facts because they're still, well, I've got no 5G in me. Yeah. Like, I'm not a lizard. Yeah. 
I've got yeah, the vaccine. They, I didn't die. <laughs> yeah, they'll take the one thing that's maybe uber extreme, and then they apply it to the entire movement and to every yeah. single person into it. It's like in the U.S. If you if you question vaccine safety, all of a sudden you're a Q anonymous. Trump-loving supporter who believes in flat earth and, and, and just add five or six more things to that yeah. list. Or it's like, well, can I just um, have a critical thought about something uh, yeah. where, where there's evidence and science that backs actually backs my point of view up? Yeah. yeah, that's the strategy. They try to conflate all the conspiracies together to put everyone in the same boat. Um, just for the people who are watching this at home, here is a couple of pictures from the event you can start counting if you want to but yeah it was massive so you started as <laughs> someone who wanted to be an event organizer who wanted to be a bit of a puff daddy right who wanted to be an agent a manager etc etc um it didn't work out the way that you might have thought it was going to work out <laughs> <laughs> but Job, Joe. Yeah. Isn't it wild but, to think about? Sorry. Like I said to Joe yesterday, I think in a message, I'm like, just take this in for a minute. Tupac did not perform in front of a crowd that large, Joe, and you did. Like, like that's an amazing feeling. Difference being, like, just to put it out there, to everyone, I do this for free. Yeah. There's no agency above me that's paying me. We we didn't charge ticket prices to get in. Yeah. If that was a concert. We'd be swimming in money on a penthouse tonight. Like, you know what I mean? And why not? I'm still here unemployed. And like I said to Joe earlier, I'm like, it feels like such a victory. And we're all in tears on that stage. Like, wow, we've come so far. Look, at this. this is amazing. It's a victory. And it is a victory for the people. The next day, I'm still an unemployed man with no money. Uh, I still can't go to work without a vaccine. They're still going to bring out a vaccine for five-year-olds very shortly. By, by next year, they're still going to bring it out for babies. So it's, it's just such a weird feeling because you're so happy, but you're so... The fight's not over. The fight's it, definitely not over. And, and it, it's, it's not over. And they still are going to go and do all those things. But you've seen firsthand how quickly it's growing, how quickly awareness is spreading, right? These events are double, tripling, quadrupling each time. And this is what I always come back to. Two years ago, vaccines were the most taboo topic on planet Earth. You could not have a conversation with 99.99% of the population, even just for a second questioning of yeah. questioning vaccines, right? And look how much things have changed in two years. The, 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 the dogma the, the biblical religious narrative around vaccines as the greatest gift to mankind, it has crumbled. It truly has. And if I can be honest and think about my position back then, I never thought that we'd be here now. I never thought that this many people would be awake, aware, and questioning the, 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 the cow, vaccines. The sacred cow of modern medicine. Yeah. They stuffed up. They stuffed up. And the people that I did listen to years ago, like Denise, I'll keep throwing out a name. I yeah. wish I could remember her last name. <laughs> um, like Dr. Kevin Coleman, they, they were talking about it coming for adults years ago. Yeah. But by the government doing that, we are now seeing the injuries. 
because we can talk. As an adult, you can talk. If your wife dies tomorrow from the vaccine, you can go talk about it. If, if I get the vaccine and I'm in hospital tomorrow, I can talk about it. When you just add it on the schedule for the kids with their MMR and their DTAP vaccine and their flu shots, no one knows. This is the problem. This is why I keep trying to talk to all these new people, new awoken people about that your baby who's getting vaccinated can't talk, can't tell you they've got a headache now, can't tell you they're dizzy, can't tell you they've got a sore arm. They can't talk. Um, if they become disabled, if they've got a sore heart, they can't, they can't talk. Yeah. How many vaccine injuries are we missing in children because they can't talk? They can't communicate that. And if, if they put the COVID shot into babies first, I don't think we'd be having the uproar we're having now because mm. no one would have noticed. Mm. <laughs> That's a very good point. That is a very good point. I know, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, no, but, but, but it's true. And, and the reason why the schedule was able to grow so, so quickly and so big is because the, the, it's because the children couldn't talk about it. We just had these select group of mothers and fathers and parents who were aware of the changes and the shifts in their children who were trying to wave the banner and say, hang on, something's happening here. Um, but if, 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 if that schedule was being forced on adults all those years... <laughs> then it, it never would have gotten to, to where it got to. I mean, in the States, we're talking about 72 doses before the age of 18. In Australia, I think it's 59 or something like that. 59. Yeah. And then ask your friends how many they've had and they won't remember the last vaccine they had. Yeah, and the thing is, most people don't even know these numbers because you'll have an old person who's in their 60s or their 70s they'll be like, well, I got my vaccines and I'm okay. And it's like, well, you had three, maybe. Yeah. Two, they got a polio shot you know exactly so you know these people don't know i'm even people who i think are around my age you know who have kids and i've been educating myself on the subject for a long time but they don't remember what how they were and when how many they got they might have gotten like you know 12 13 14 whatever the case may be so when they're bringing their kid in they're not they're not like "Mm, well this is a six more and 18 more actually 20 more than i got you don't know they're just they're just like okay well my doctor knows best just relinquish their authority and they just go by what the doctors and the nurses tell them. They're not comparing. They don't have their little blue book that lists what they got when they were, you know, um, one, two, three, four, five years old, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like people are blind to it. And because it's so normalized, again, that it's just normal for the 100 million people or whoever have got the vaccine to go and get the COVID shot. Uh-huh. I think the VIRS reporting was stated at Oxford University. This is before COVID as well. There was only one in 10,000 adverse reactions were, were reported. If you go get a vaccine today, not, not you, but mm-hmm. people, it's kind of like just going to McDonald's and getting fries or just going eating an apple. Tomorrow comes and you feel sick. You don't think, oh, yesterday I had an apple. A lot of people don't think, oh, yesterday I had a vaccine. They just think, well, shit, today I'm sick, wonder why. Yeah, you know, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor isn't saying, "Oh, it's because you got the vaccine yesterday." Yeah, they yeah, pushing it the exact opposite direction, <laughs> and their mind wouldn't even go there because they're not in it, they're not exposed to it. They don't, they wouldn't even think it's a thing to even yeah, blame per se. Yeah. So yeah, that's, the, that's the power. <laughs> that's the power of propaganda, right? Yeah. Hmm. But that's man. what we're fighting against. It's, it's a. That's why it's such a hard fight. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, it in men, it's 
it's been hard for a, for a very long time. Um, saying your song, Joel. I'm interrupting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> like about the Hep B shot. Yeah, that's that's my biggest problem for babies because it yeah. does not make any sense. There is no, no one can give you one reason why your baby's having a hepatitis B shot. Not one. The doctors told me so. I have family members that are, are nurses. I don't mm. say who on this because they'll lose their job. <laughs> but I've woken them up, right? Now they go to the doctors because they work with many doctors and ask them these questions. And the doctors can't answer. Why is the baby getting a hepatitis B shot? Oh, because the mum would have hepatitis. Well, what if the mum, don't you test the mums beforehand so you know if they've got hepatitis or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, why, why? and if the mum had hepatitis, the baby would already have it when it was born. So the vaccine would be too late. So that argument is out the window. The next argument they give is, we have a lot of immigrants in the country who may be unvaccinated. If they bite your kid at the park, they may get hepatitis off them. Yeah. Like, that's that's from a doctor. That's a perfectly logical reason to inject a, a baby on day one of birth with a million of them. You know? Like, so, I need yeah. all the people that are awake to COVID to wake up to that. And they are. And this is, and I think this is what's happening. I think this is, this is the important role that you're playing at this point in time as well is in helping that transition, in helping that shift. Because mm-hmm. I mean, without COVID, without the catalyst, people would mm-hmm. never have looked twice at the rest of the bullshit that's been going on for how long? You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so just, it continually seems to me as though every single ridiculous attempt mandates forced coercion that they tried to pull over the population there's always a balance taking place and they're just awakening as many more people as 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 a result as well because this narrative it's so such it's such a bullshit it's so obvious it's 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 ridiculous and i mean we talk about the boom and the gloom and the rest of it but i just don't have any sense of that within myself because i remember where we were I remember the sentiments around these topics. I remember how people felt. Then I'm, I'm aware of how people feel about it now. And uh, I just know within me that things had to be this way. It could never have been any other way. And the synchronicities that, are, that, are, that occur and the way things come full circle, like where I was going before, you wanted to host events. You wanted to <laughs> look what you're doing now and you're doing it in such a more potent and meaningful way in a profound way than you could ever have dreamed. As, as, as that MC back in the day. You know what I mean? And we talk about the hero's journey and our life path and the fact that there's no coincidences. On some level, do you feel within yourself that as unfortunate as some, as some of the events may have been, on a deeper level, everything is playing out for, for, for meaning and for a reason within yourself? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the, the hard thing is, Joel, I, I try not to be ego. Yeah. Right. It's it's hard. But when I so I don't do a lot of I did this, I did that, I did. But okay, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was the first one to run a national protest in Australia for vaccines or COVID or or anything. That that that's big because there's yeah, other people have seen that and now use the same connections and you know. So I, I guess I've connected people too. I've connected people to either be friends like us yeah. um, or or to run their own things or to do their own education workshops. Yeah, I started that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but 
yeah, yeah, that's it's amazing. And I look around the whole nation, and even I was sent a photo this morning, Ballina. It's a town somewhere, right? I've drove past it on my way to Queensland, but other than that, no offense to anyone in Ballina, it, it's just a town in the middle of nowhere, just a little town. For people in other countries watching, it's just a little town. I don't know how many people live there. I'd say not many. It's just a town in the middle of nowhere. They sent me a photo of their last rally, Millions March rally in September. It's about 30 people there. Yes, Saturday, thousands. So this little park they had it in, big park, a couple of picnic blankets last time, and this time the whole park is full. That, that's amazing. That's a little town. And, and we had over 30 locations on Saturday. Wow. And that's the most locations we've ever had too. So I saw Ziggy Alberts performing at one of the locations. Do you know who Ziggy is? I know who Ziggy is. I love him. I've been writing to him for ages to try and get him to Sydney. He never reads my messages. So, dude. <laughs> he performed at one of the locations. Are you sure? Dude, I sure have video footage of Ziggy performing at one of the events. Really? He just rocked up. I'm telling you. Yes, I'll send it to you. I'm, I'm fairly confident, like, man. This was your event, and Ziggy just rocked up on stage and performed. Ziggy okay. Alberts is one of the the top the top selling Australian artists. For those that don't know, he's charting all the time. He's an incredible acoustic singer songwriter, dude. I'm pretty sure he performed at your, your events. <laughs> I'm gonna make some calls after this, Joe. I'll just, I'll I know he lives up Queensland way, so maybe yeah. I think it was Balina. To be honest with you, I actually, you I actually do think it was Balina. I probably didn't know who he was. <laughs> This guy wants to sing. He can sing. All right, cool. <laughs> so, what goes into what what goes into coordinating a nationwide rally with thirty different locations? First off, is setting a date. <laughs> Keith you need to have a date. Oh, well, it is like you got to set a date, and then you have from the minute you set that date, you have people complain. So, point number two is don't listen to the haters because <laughs> they come fast what I like to do is promote an event three months out and people go, why? And I'm like, so people know that it's on. <laughs> if, if I do one this weekend, there is one this weekend and I still don't have the location and the date, the time for it. It's not my event, but I said I'd help promote it. I still don't have a location or a time. Yeah. It's hard to get people there if they don't know that information. So I like to promote it three months out. When I do that, the haters come straight away going, it's too far away. We can't wait that long. Why so long? I want it this weekend. <laughs> they, I'm like, you said the same thing about what, what just happened on Saturday. When I first advertised that one, you told me, it's too late. You know, we're all going to be dead by then. Stop. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, I don't mean to make So that's, that's it. Then you need, I contact my trusted people around Australia to get them on board. Because yeah. the more locations you can have on that poster, the more I've got a brand now. So people know it's legit, but the more location you can have set in major cities, better it looks. Then it's about reaching out to your local people that you know that have ran these before because they're obviously successful. Do it again, put them on. Most of my work is really, and then other people reach in. The more the poster gets out to those little regional places, then they want to join because they can see what happened last time. Yeah. You know, this happened last time. We want in. It's 10 hours to my closest one. Let's put one on our town. So that's awesome because that's what people need to do. Because that's you're in Sydney, I'm in Canberra. We're 
we can't travel to all these little places and help the people. They need to join together and, you know, get together with people in their community that they can help out, that they can do business with, that they can schooling or whatever the vaccine issues are. Mm-hmm. Like-minded people need to join together. So that's great. Um, my main task is obviously Sydney. <laughs> um, with other states, some very self-managed themselves. Other states I work closely with. Some states reach out for help to book speakers because then obviously I have connections in those ways that if someone wants Joel, I, I can I can message Joel. But if they message Joel, it'll probably be any spam and he won't see it and all those kind of things. Yeah. So that, but yeah. I think that's, yeah. yeah, go. I was going to say what you mentioned before in terms of community. I think that's one of the most powerful byproducts of what's being birthed out of out of out of out of out of, out of what you're doing as well. Is because people are finding the like-minded networks that they, they these contacts they continue to use within 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 um, their own personal mm-hmm. life and their own businesses going forward as well. So the, the networking and the connections that take place as a result, they really enhance the, the, this grassroots this grassroots movement of um, uh, you mean self-responsibility away from away from the government and away from the institutions and away from the, these bigger corporations that you mean are, are playing a role in 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 what's taking place. Um, so I just want to throw that in there as something that I think is super important about all of this as well is that people are realizing there's like-minded people all around them, and that is such a big key um, moving forward as well. Yeah, I don't know how we further do that. I've had ideas. Sometimes I think we're too big to do it. Like, I'd love to do a festival. So now, now we're upping the event management stuff. Massive festival with business owners that all have their own stalls and we're all like-minded and let's let's connect and do this. But I think we're, we're possibly too big for that at this point because I, I asked during my speech, I'm like, who here is a small business owner? And there were tens of thousands of hands went up. Yeah, I, I can't have 10,000 stands. Do you know what I mean? So... I don't know how, I know there's lots of people that are trying to make web pages and all those things. I don't know how good they work. I, I don't know. But there's so many people out there that, I don't know. It's probably not my job to do. I'm too busy to try and connect all them people. Yeah. Back to the event before we go. We'll have the business meeting about the future of Millions March after the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, like, I like that I'm hanging out with Puff Daddy and Tupac right now. <laughs> he calls me Shug. Shug night. Good night. There we go, Shug. <laughs> so then what else is next, Joel? So we've got the poster. We so Again, Sydney's hard. Canberra is pretty easy because I live in Canberra. I could do one in Canberra tomorrow. Um, some people like this and some people hate this. I have Sydney police, Melbourne police, Western Australia police, Canberra police, phone numbers in my phone. I can ring the majority of them right now. Some people hate that. You're a snitch. You shouldn't talk to the cops. No, no, I'm going to talk to a cop and say, can I have a protest here tomorrow? And him go, yeah, Michael, what help do you need? Do you need us to shut a road? Do you need us to, you know? And they help me, which means it helps us. Yeah. Now, if he says, no, Michael, you can't have it, I could still go and do it if I wanted to, if I chose to. But the thing with having these open, honest relationships with the police is if they tell me, if you go to it, Michael... We're going to go and handcuff as many people as we can. Then I can make that responsible decision too to, to, to not advertise that to the people and tell them not to go. 
Yeah. Like, and that's what I've always tried to do. I, I haven't had an arrest or a fine at my events, any of them. I'd like and to I keep think that's that an way. important piece of the puzzle as well, is that for the most part, you know what I mean? Just because they're in a uniform, it doesn't mean they don't have their own families. It doesn't mean they don't have the, their, their own conscience. It doesn't mean they don't have a deeper sense of, of, of what's going on as well. Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of the relationship with the police? Yeah, so I've always found they're nice people. Um, I ran away from them for the last year. I was running from them. <laughs> they were contacting my parents, myself, my ex-partner, uh, my sister. They were going anywhere to try and find me. Again, all states because it was lockdowns and they didn't want protests. And I was running. <laughs> you know, I didn't want them to catch me. That's when a lot of other people in Melbourne were getting arrested and all that kind of stuff. Then one of them finally got to me. <laughs> and it was the most beautiful conversation I've had. Like, he's like, I've, they, they make me watch your videos, Michael. I've watched them all. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think if what you're saying, a lot of what you're saying is right. What they want on this moment is for you to stop advertising protests in Melbourne. They want, it, they want me to send you to Melbourne for incitement. We don't want to do that. You're in Canberra. It's fully legal here. Don't worry about it. But can you just lay off posting about Melbourne protests for a couple of weeks? Yeah. That was a conversation. I'm like, that was cool. That was nothing to be running away from or be scared about. Or He's asked me a simple request. It's really easily for me to do. Like, I'm just one person. If I don't post a poster, like, who really cares? Do you know what I mean? Yep. No. And that was that. And, and even recently, I've had a cop come to my door. Um, my dad has passed. For those that don't know, my dad was here. And my dad had a conversation with him. And my dad actually invited him inside to my house, which was weird at the time. I'm like, why are you inviting him? The police obviously respected that a lot. And now I've had a phone call with him and he's like, how are you going? I'm like, I've lost my dad. And he's like, I'm so sorry to hear. It's like a normal, friendly conversation. And now this police, anytime a poster comes out, he calls me. Michael, do you know anything about this event? Is this yours? If it's not, I just say, no, it's not. I don't need to go and snitch and tattletale but if it's mine i can go yeah it's on this date this time this location we want this and it just makes things so much easier i feel yeah. when you when you can talk to the police and you know they're on your side and you're not scared that when you turn up what's going to happen it it makes life easier and i know a lot of people get the phone calls and or the visits and they don't want to talk to the police i told everyone this time i'm like if the police visit you say yeah you got the poster off michael and he told me to post it like, do you know what I mean? Like, yep. you can you can snitch on me, guys. If I'm putting out a poster, I take responsibility. There's yep. nothing to be scared of. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and and they're normal. They're just the police I've worked with are normal people. You would have saw the video with Uncle Max. I've had many people reach out about that same officer going, "Is he on our side?" Like he was awfully nice. And I'm like he was. Yeah. During the event, there were some people getting on the road, and he came to us, and he's like can you guys tell them to get off the road? If we do, it might cause a, you know, they might get angry at us, but if you guys tell them, they'll listen. So me and Romeo went to the back of the stage and said, can you guys move? And everyone moved. And that was it. <laughs> like that was the interaction with the police. They were brilliant. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, I've never done the police fighting. And I say to people, if you're angry, like we all get angry. Can you imagine something, put a phone in your face and screaming at you? And I've had this discussion with the police too. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not a police because I'd knee them in the balls. Do you know what I mean? Yep. If you stick a phone in my face and start screaming at me, I'm going to knock you out. 
No, I'm not going to stand there and just stand and staring at you. Now, can you imagine someone doing that to you or all you people doing it? Yeah. Like, and then you, you kind of, I call it like chihuahuas. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this bit, Joe. It's like one person thinks they're all tough and does it. And then another, another bunch of chihuahuas jump in and do the same thing because like the police won't do nothing to me because there's, there's 10 of us now without like, why? Why? Yeah. It's not cool. Like, is it? I don't know. Um, yeah, no, pe- 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 people need to, um, uh, like, I mean, and I don't want to put everyone in a, in, a, in a basket at the same time because I think a lot of people are really, really, really respectful and understand the circumstances. Um, but obviously people need to use better discernment in how to direct their energy more constructively. Um, and people can get caught up in the heat of the moment um, for sure. Can I just put forward a metaphor? Yeah. And sometimes these don't work and sometimes they hit the spot because <laughs> I've just thought of it. But if, if someone's standing on the opposite side of the road with a knife, you're not going to walk towards them. You're going to walk the other way, hmm. right? And I know the policeman's not standing over there with a knife and he shouldn't be attacking people. But why? It's like sometimes people cause the drama. They, they want the drama on purpose. Yeah. You know, like, why are you walking over? In our march, it happened. 150,000 people there. 149,998 of them walked the march, cheered, clapped, high-fived the cops on the way past. Yeah. Two decided they'd go up to the cops in their face and start abusing them. Why? Why? What response do you want from that? Yeah, there's, there's 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 no reason to provoke at that point in time when they were when they were accommodating. Um, 100% agree with that. At all the events, there's always um, there's always a deep a d- deep respect and acknowledgement that you ensure is had for the indigenous culture of our country. Um, can you speak of the importance to that for you, and also in representing that properly at at the events? So many reasons for me. One, I identify as indigenous. Um. My great, great, possibly another great on top of that. His name's William Smith. He was born in 1840. He's black. What black man in 1840 has a name William Smith? Um, doesn't know his, didn't know his parents, didn't know where he come from. His daughter, Marianne Smith, was born on a whaling ship. So he lived most of his life on a whaling ship. His daughter was born on a whaling ship. Their house location was in Tasmania. In, in those days, Tasmania pretty much killed every black person and sent them. The ones they didn't kill was, was sent off Tasmania. Um, yeah, so that, that's my story. I can't track it back any further because he couldn't read or write English and he doesn't know who his parents were. Wow. So, hey, Mike, can you comment at all? Because I know there's been news coming out of the Northern Territory. Can you comment on what's, what's been going on with indigenous populations? there um, i would rather not only okay. because it's it's their issue and i've heard different stories got it so i've heard either way it could be exaggerated and it's not my battle like i support them fully um it's, but it's I don't hard to say, know if we're really what's going on in the northern area yeah, i don't want to say something's happening if it's not and i don't want to say it's not happening if it is yeah i get so, it like that yeah well Oh yeah, back on indigenous flavor. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's me. But we also had, if you remember back last year, big Black Lives Matter events. And our movement kind of, now all this sorrow stuff and BLM, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's one thing, definitely. But I think 90, again, 99% of the people at these events, Black Lives Matter events, don't know none of that stuff either. They're just there, people trying to support black people. And, and I think America was different to Australia. We, we weren't doing the whole George Floyd thing. It, it was different, but because it had the same BLM theme, it kind of got pulled into it. But I guess what I was trying to do, what I think we all should try to do is unite us all together. Mm-hmm. So the more the more indigenous flavor I can add and say, we're not, we're not racist. We're not against you. We're with you. Come join us and then be on stage doing the same thing. We're not against you. We love you. Come join us. We're all fighting for freedoms together here. I think that's what needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, looking into, looking into the crowd, obviously you can see, I mean, there's, there's many nations that, that, that are being represented just simply in terms of flags. So not even from the other side of the coin, no one could look at that event and be like, this is a um, white supremacist sect supporting, you mean, QAnon, Trump supporters. um, That's that's one of my proudest moments is that actually, that for 200 years, there's been people trying to unite black and white and multiculturalism. And and that's what we had. That's what we had on on Saturday. Yep. We had our event, which which was about choice which was about vaccines yeah we had every nation's flag in that crowd we had speakers of every religion faith yeah nationality and we all loved and supported each and every every person like yeah that's what the world should be i look at that and I'm like that's what everything should be like that well, was a perfect segue into what i wanted to talk about is you've been doing this work for however many years and you've seen it grow to the, to where it's grown to in your mind, what, when you visualize the ideal outcome of everything that you've done and how you want the world to be, what do you see? <laughs> like, how do you see this? Like, okay, you'll, you'll do another event and there'll be 250,000 people. Like, what do you, what do you see happening? Well, what's like, your, what's your ideal outcome? Yeah. Where to? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's one of those tough questions, isn't it? I'm not throwing this out there now, but I'm just, things go through my head all the time. Yeah. Why I say to people, I need to sleep on things before I I, I never jump in the moment. I need to sleep on something and come back to you. But there's always a thought of, we've got the numbers. We now now have big, large numbers. How do do we get this victory? If the politicians aren't going to listen, do we have to take the next step? I'm not saying we are going to, but do we need to, do other other things. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I I'm get not it. I get anyone, it. but you know, ideally, I just want mandates to be gone. Yeah, get rid of mandates. That, that's that's my fight. Then, so I had a discussion with a politician two years ago, and I won't mention his name, but very high up. Again, it was about disabilities, so it wasn't about vaccines or this movement. Or I'm in bed with politicians. But I was giving him all these problems that were wrong with the NDIS, which is how we fund disability services. And he said to me, Michael, you need to concentrate on one thing. One, you can never get 10 things through parliament. 
you can never get 10 things changed, but you can get one thing changed. If you use all your energy and power on that one thing, then you can go to the next thing. So my one thing is ending mandates. I just want to end the mandates and then, then we can talk about opening the borders or whatever, whatever. But to me, there's no point. This is what I've said in our movement since last year, early last year. We fight about so many things. We win mm -hmm. nothing. And even me and you, not, not had a fight, but like um, a disagreement about international borders. Remember, you're like, nah, freedom, we, we, we should be able to travel. Do you remember that one? No. No. He definitely did, guys. Okay. Joel wanted to travel. And I was like, even before COVID, there was... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes, yes. Get the, get the vaccine to travel. I'm cool with that. Joel's not cool with that. But right now, no one can travel, right? I, I can't even go to Queensland. I can't go to another state. In New South Wales, you can't go to the damn shops. Um, I'd be happy for... That's what I'm saying. I'm like, one, one thing at a time. Stop the mandates so we can be a normal person then open our own borders so we can travel our own country just let us go to the damn shops let us go buy whatever we want and then we can talk about international borders but i think international borders is five or six up the list and not something we should worry about now because we can't actually do nothing now you know what i'm saying i can't even work so i can't even pay for a trip overseas <laughs> yeah no i i understand yeah. what you're saying and I mean, obviously, I mean, it doesn't make any of it right. But I understand that our energy certainly needs to be directed to what it is that we can deal with um, immediately. And um, I think the important thing that you've you've contributed is honing direction. You, you've been able to to, um, to to navigate the energy towards a specific goal and a specific target which I think um, is something that you're right is missing because when you have a million people shouting a million different things, um, then it, it, it becomes scattered and it's not as effective. Um, yeah. So no, I agree with you there. A reporter asked me, a reporter asked me that. He's like, I don't understand what you're fighting for because it seems like this person's against pedophiles, this person's against lockdowns, this person's against masks, this person's against vaccines, that one's against 5G. What, what? what's your mission here? And I'm like, that's a good point because yeah, like, what, 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 what are we trying? What are you trying to wake people up to? Right. Yeah. 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 There's people in the ocean trying to fight to save the whales and yeah. that's save the whales. It's clear as day, save the whales. Um, stop black deaths in custody. Clear as day. Stop black deaths in custody. You kind yeah. of you have a barometer if you're winning or losing that battle. But if our battle is everything and we're losing everything, it's like, and I just said before we were winning, but when I say losing, I'm like, compared to last year, we are worse. I don't have a job today, but that is worse. You can't go to the shops. That, that, is, that is worse than where we were last year when we were already fighting last year. Yeah. Um, well, I, think that, I, think, I think that's what it comes down to too, is like each person needs to find out what they need to do, what their role is. You know, we don't need to do everything. You know, you've made a decision to focus on this and it's a really, really important issue. You know what I mean? So I, I totally think zeroing in, zeroing in and, and doing what you need to do, whether it's saving whales, whether it's fighting against mandatory vaccines, whether it's fighting against mandatory masking, et cetera, et cetera, is the way to go. And each person needs to figure that out for themselves and to yeah. get clear on that. Yeah, people mm. need, definitely need to get clear in terms of what they, what, what, what they stand for and what their goal is. Um, definitely. I had something that I was going to 
go-to, but it has escaped me. Um, well, you didn't talk about the event earlier. I didn't. I didn't mention putting together your event. What 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 goes into it? Yeah, go for it. So, I, like I said, I do plan three months out to try and get all that into place. The issue with us this time, because we had expanded so much, was the stage and the sound. That was my nightmare of a week. And it was only a week, but it felt like a year because it was 24 hours a day on the phone. Um, as Joel has said, and I've said, we, we started off small. And I'm just a normal dude. <laughs> we, 18 months ago, we were standing on the ground with one man holding a speaker on his shoulder, another man holding a speaker with, with mics. We had two mics at the same time because one was attached to that and one was attached to that. That's where we come from. Then we went to milk crates, milk crate with a bit of wood on top of it. Then we went to a little stage with Joel saying that was like a meter, but we all thought that was an awesome stage. That felt huge. And now we're on the back of a big giant truck that opens up and the roof comes up. And <laughs> that cost a lot of money, guys. And I don't have the money. And the great thing about this was I thought people would winch and complain because anytime you mention money, People whinge and complain. And, and I understand we're all losing our jobs and time is tough. But people threw money. We, we got the money in like two days to pay for that big giant truck and the sound. So it doesn't come together either, either guys. And people need to understand that. The truck doesn't come with all those speakers hanging off the roof. That's another different company. That's a sound engineer. And yeah. I would have seen there was about four or five staff up there. And there was about six to ten people setting it up they're all paid employees they're not my volunteers they're people that work for the trucking company or the sounding company all that so we're talking big business and we're not eminem and snoop dogg and <laughs> again charging a hundred dollars a ticket so that costs money the people prepared and paid for that we had to deal with police obviously we had to deal with council we had to deal with politicians trying to take over that's a good one <laughs> um yeah so they're the dramas you deal with and then behind the scenes you have other people trying to take over and claim work that they're not doing and this is my event when it's not you have other people wanting to sabotage your event because they want an event it gets messy it gets messy and then, and the regular person doesn't even know to be honest that that it's my event or as Moody's March event, even though it's on the top of every poster in the newspaper, it'll say Freedom Rally. Now that's, that's a completely different brand and it's not a competition, but the regular person just sees a poster, whether it comes out by me, you, Tom down the street, which is the dangerous part because Tom down the street can put out a poster, guys, and you guys just seem to go, shit, there's an event on, I'm going to it, when you don't even know Tom down the street. Hmm. And you try to alert people for that. And then they go, well, you're causing division. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not. Do you know Tom down the street? <laughs> and then like, so there's all these things that happen behind the scenes that is a headache. Yep. That again, the regular person just sees a poster and turns up on the day, which is great. We do want you to turn up and we love it. So tell me, um, what, are your, what, are, what are your final... What are your final words, thoughts for our audience here? What, what, is, what is your key message? You have, the, you have the floor to just spill what it is that you need to spill at this point in time. About the politician 
or about anything. What's the inherent message? So why, why are you doing this on the most core intrinsic level? Oh, basically for me, it's for my son. Yeah. Now he's already vaccine damaged. I don't want any other, like it's tough on the parents. Like we, we've discussed earlier, it, it's tough on me. My life has changed. You find a photo of me 10 years ago. I look very much different. Um, life is harder, but it's not about my son's life. He'll never get to experience the life that we live. He'll never have a partner. He'll never drive a car. He'll never have a job. He'll never do anything independently. And that's, again, that's not me having a go at him. That's me going, this poor dude will never live the life he should have lived if it wasn't for a vaccine injuring him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any kid should have to go through that. So my son's a hero too. He's he's waking up parents that hopefully their children don't get injured. That's my message. Just and don't don't give in to the bribes, the coercion, the threats. Stay strong. Obviously, we're building. We're together. If you've been vaccinated already, it doesn't mean you're not not on our team. You did what you felt you needed to do. That's okay. You're still with us. Don't don't leave us now. Stand with us and and fight so you don't have to get booster after booster after booster. And yeah, stay man. strong. Look after the kids. Protect the kids. I love I, I, I love it, bro. Um, and I mean, just want to want to honor you in this moment, bro. And just I think you you've stepped into such an important role. Um, and it's such a such such a noble cause. And I don't think any parent should experience what, what, what you've had to experience. I don't think any person any that, that's, that's been injured by, by a vaccine should have to live a life that way because of negligence on, on, on behalf of pharmaceutical companies. Um, and you've, you've made action. You've, you've put effort forward. You've created something from the ground up. You never gave up. You kept fighting. Um, and and, and you're, you're seeing what's possible now. And there's a reclamation of... of of, of what a human being can actually do what a human being is actually capable of with directed energy right we're not we're not we're not we're not nobodies we're all capable we're all powerful in our own way and um i think it's such an incredible thing that, that that you've created and you continue to build and personally man i'm i'm, I'm very humbled and grateful to be associated with with you and and with your event and what it is that that you continue to put forward so thank you Thank you. Appreciate it, Joe. No. Love you, man. I love you too, bro. Michael, thanks for being here for the truth. Guys, this has been episode 47 and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Take care. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean.